Chapter 5 Red Wolf was jolted into consciousness by a loud clanging. With a thumping heart, he clapped his hands over his ears and ran for his mother. He fell from the bed and landed flat on his face on the wooden floorboards. The wolf head pendant falling from his hand and skittering along the floor, disappearing under the next bed. Everyone was looking at him and laughing at him. He knew this even though he lay face down on the floor, but all he was worried about was if anyone had seen the wolf head pendant. He pleaded with it to remain hidden until he could safely retrieve it. Silence! Father Thomas ordered. The laughter stopped. Red Wolf scrambled to his feet, the foreign surroundings crashing into him like a charging bull moose. Instantly, he was wide awake and terrified. Outside the barred window, it was still dark, but in the yellow lamplight, he could see the other boys in their nightshirts, kneeling beside their beds, pressing their palms and fingers together. Red Wolf knelt beside his bed and copied them, but he peeked through narrowed eyes. He didn't want to miss any command that might earn him punishment. Father Thomas, wearing a white night robe, was talking in the language that made no sense. He rocked back and forth on his slippered heels, exposing glimpses of blue-gray ankles. He didn't have his ruler with him. Red Wolf followed the priest's upward gaze, wondering who he was talking to up there, but he could see no one. The wooden beams and rafters were more substantial than the slim poles of his birch bark wigwam, but there was no opening for the smoke from the fire. In fact, there was no fire. Red Wolf had never lived without fire, and the damp cold of the dormitory soon caused him to shiver. Amen, the boy said. Mr. Hall, his bald head shining in the lamplight, entered the dormitory making a drumming rhythm by smacking his walking cane into the palm of his hand. Red Wolf thought that soon there would be singing or dancing. He was shocked when the boys who had wet their beds had to lean over and touch their toes. Mother Hall used words to admonish each child, and then Mr. Hall used his cane. And finally, Father Thomas added a blessing, and it went like this. You filthy boy! Thwack! God save your heathen soul! Amen! You disgusting bedwetter! Thwack! God save you from your pagan ways! Amen! You good-for-nothing Indian! Thwack! God bless you even though you're an Indian! In this manner, Red Wolf began to understand the English language. Still in their nightshirts, the boys put on their school boots. Red Wolf fumbled at the trailing laces, and then he hid them down inside the boots against his bare ankles. Ablutions, Mother Hall shouted, choosing a boy to carry the communal night-soil bucket. Immediately, the children fell into line behind the boy with the pail. Red Wolf brought up the rear, and when he imitated the rhythm of their swinging arms and marching feet... The line proceeded out the dormitory, along the corridor, down two flights of stairs, and along a passageway to the side of the building. As soon as the first boy in line pushed open the door, Red Wolf wriggled his nose at the stench and then stood aghast at the sight that met his eyes. Some twenty boys sat on a long bench that straddled a deep, smelly trench. Their nightshirts were hiked around their waists and ankle boots, and on the ends of bare legs they waved in the air. A boy jumped off the bench, and the next in line took his place, and then another and another. And when it was Red Wolf's turn, he didn't move fast enough. Hurry up! Get on the throne, the latrine orderly said. You have two minutes. After that, you have to wait until tomorrow. Red Wolf didn't understand the words, though he knew what he was supposed to do. But since the orderly's demeanor was not threatening, since his skin was brown and not white, since he held no ruler or leather straps, Red Wolf didn't rush.
"'You lost ten seconds already,' the youth said, "'stretching his hand toward Red Wolf "'and showing the pocket watch in his palm. "'Had Red Wolf's senses not already been in overload, "'the moving hands of the timepiece would have fascinated him. "'Instead, he approached the vacant space on the bench "'and, holding his breath, peered through the round hole in the wood. "'It looked very big and wondered if he could balance on it "'without falling through. "'But the orderly was getting increasingly impatient.' So he climbed up, trying not to sit on his nightshirt, and he settled over the hole. And for the next part of the evolution's routine, Red Wolf went to the adjacent wash house and waited in line again. When it was his turn, he hung a bucket over the spigot and leaned his body weight over the long handle. He was impressed when icy water instantly spewed into the pail, without any sign of a lake or river nearby. He carried the half-filled bucket to where the other boys were stripping off their nightshirts and washing their bodies under the vigilant eyes of Mother Hall. Once again, he watched carefully and he copied the others, first picking up a cake of soap and a rag and washing himself in the following order, hands, face, armpits, backside, and feet. Finally, a larger rag was used to rub dry. Throughout this part of the daily routine, Mother Hall repeated a mantra that Red Wolf would later come to understand. Cleanliness is next to godliness. After pouring the dirty water down a drain, and hanging the rags to dry, the children donned their nightshirts and boots again and marched back to the dormitory to make their beds and put on their school uniforms. While everyone was distracted, Red Wolf scrambled under the bed as though his life depended on it, retrieved the wolf head, and plunged it safely in his pocket. For a few moments he felt much better, but as soon as Mother Hall noticed his untied laces, his stomach tensed again. "'You've got to learn this quickly,' she said, bending over and tying a bow. "'I can't be leaning over all the time, not with this bad back of mine.' Red Wolf strained to see how the woman manipulated the laces, but Mother Hall's spindly fingers moved too fast. And then it was breakfast. Never had Red Wolf seen a room as large as the refectory, and never had he seen so many boys. They were all wearing the same clothes and the same vacant expression, and they were all silent.' A plump woman at the counter ladled food into his upheld bowl. He stared at the thick, lumpy goop, but was soon pushed along by impatient boys and steered toward one of the many plank tables. A booming voice broke the silence. Let us pray. Red Wolf copied the other children as they bowed their heads, closed their eyes, and held their hands in the position he had learned that morning. Thank you, Lord, for the bounty that you have provided today for the food which we will now enjoy. Red Wolf peeked at Father Thomas. The priest had changed out of his nightclothes and was once again wearing the black robe from the previous day. The boy had thought it strange that the robe had no openings at the front. The robes of the people opened down the front. Mr. Hall's shirt opened down the front. So did Red Wolf's new school shirt and the shirts of all the other boys, but Father Thomas's robe didn't seem to have any openings, and the stiff white collar that throttled his neck appeared to be the wrong way around, too. Red Wolf wondered if the priest had forgotten the right way to dress himself. The boy looked at the crossed sticks that hung from the father's neck. Red Wolf furtively slipped his hand into his trouser pocket and caressed the piece of carved bone, seeing the image of the wolf head through his fingertips. The warmth that came to his fingers as he rubbed them over the bone made him feel warm all over. My wolf is much nicer than his sticks. Is that why they tried to take it away from me? Do they want it for themselves? Finally, the boy deduced correctly, and since the priest was the only one wearing women's skirts, the only one wearing his clothing backwards, and the only one wearing the cross sticks, Father Thomas must be chief. Red Wolf's stomach growled. 
He had not eaten since the previous morning, and he was hungry. Food was in front of everyone, but nobody was eating. They were poised over their bowls, immobile as rock carvings, heads lowered, eyes closed, palms together. Red Wolf ascertained that Father Thomas's eyes were firmly shut, and quickly dumped two fingers into the porridge and scooped it into his mouth. He had barely tasted the sticky food when a firm blow on the back of his head sent his hands flying into his bowl. There will be no eating when Father Thomas is talking to our Lord, hissed Mr. Hall, his bald head red with outrage and orange hairs bristling from his ears. Mr. Hall's angry outburst was over as quickly as it had come, and Father Thomas continued with his prayer. Thank you, Lord, for all the gifts you've bestowed on us today. Thank you for providing these lost children with this home, and thank you for giving me and all the staff here another day to minister to their souls. And for what we are about to receive, make us truly grateful. The chorus of Amen was barely out of the mouths of the children before they were shoveling down spoonfuls of porridge. Red Wolf stared around in disbelief, absently licking the sticky mess from his fingers. It was now Mother Hall who whacked him on the back of his head. Spoon, she said, pushing a cold, shiny utensil into his hand. Only savages eat with their hands. Red Wolf took the spoon and copied the others, but he had lost his appetite and he did not like the taste of the food. He listened to the clanking and scraping of metal spoons on enameled bowls. The sound was abrasive and jarring compared to the duller sound of maple ladles on maple bowls. He laid down his spoon and waited. Nishin, eat quick, the boy next to him whispered in the language of the people. If you don't, they hold you and they push it down your throat and you get a haircut like Henry over there. He gestured with his lower lip to a boy who had a three-finger-wide strip of baldness running down the center of his scalp from forehead to nape. In horror, Red Wolf ate the food, almost gagging on the lumps. It barely finished when the bell clanged again, and without a word, the boys were instantly on their feet, waiting in silence one of several lines to wash, dry, and stack their own dishes and spoons. With the dishwashing done, and with the bell clanging yet again, the boys walked silently away in different directions. Red Wolf didn't know where to go. Follow Henry, the other boy whispered. He's in grade one. He should be in grade two, like me, but he's in grade one again. Why? Red Wolf asked, because he's a stupid Indian. Chapter 6 Henry was easy to follow. His bald stripe set him apart. And once inside the grade one classroom, he was a head taller than the other boys. The teacher took Red Wolf's hand and led him to the front of the class. All the boys stared at the newcomer with expressionless faces. Everyone except Henry, who sat front and center with a scowl on his face. Say good morning to George the teacher instructed the class. Good morning to George, they said in unison. Henry rolled his eyes at their stupidity. Turning to face Red Wolf, the man pointed at his own chest. Master Evans, he said several times over until Red Wolf was able to repeat the name perfectly. This pleased the man who smiled and tousled the boy's hair for a long time. Red Wolf felt uncomfortable. Master Evans showed Red Wolf a name tag that said George. All of the children except Henry had similar name tags pinned to their shirts. When Red Wolf successfully sounded out each letter of his new name, the teacher beamed and pinned the name tag on him. Then he pointed at Henry. Henry, you may go back to your old desk now. The big boy moved quickly to the back row, obviously happy to be returning to his old location. The teacher steered Red Wolf by his shoulders to the empty desk. Sit down. Red Wolf understood. 
He slid across the smooth oak seat. It was still warm from Henry's backside. He wriggled around, slipping and sliding on the well-worn surface. Suddenly, a ruler smacked down on Red Wolf's desk, a fraction of an inch from his arm. He jumped and let out a startled yelp, inadvertently banging his knees on the underside of the desk. Sit still! Red Wolf understood that too. Some of the boys were giggling, almost inaudibly, but Henry's laughter was loud and scornful. Master Evan's voice was shrill. Silence! The boys were quiet, and Red Wolf learned another word. The teacher turned his back to the children and with a short white stick made marks on a large blackboard that hung on the wall. Red Wolf knew these must be the tracks his father had spoken of, the white man's signs that he must learn before he could leave school. He gazed at the marks in hope for understanding. It didn't come. The children lifted the tops of their desks, took out slates, and worked at copying the teacher's writing. Their faces furrowed with concentration. Red Wolf did the same. He clutched the smooth stick in his fingers, chewed on his lower lip, and contemplated how to start. He made his first mark. The chalk screeched and snapped in two. Red Wolf was mortified. The teacher directed a chain of meaningless words at him, and he felt everyone's eyes boring into his back. He wished he could disappear. He closed his eyes tight, but when he reopened them, he was still in the classroom, still at Bruce County Indian Residential School, still far from his parents in Crooked Ear. He picked up half the chalk and made the same tapping sound as the other boys. Master Evans was small-boned, almost to the point of being fragile. He was nothing like Mr. Hall in size or weight. His voice was small, too, and he carried only a ruler, not a cane or strips of leather. Even so, when he walked up and down between the rows of desks, Red Wolf was afraid. And as his footsteps got closer, Red Wolf tensed in anticipation of punishment. He knew that the marks he was making on the slate bore no similarity to those on the blackboard, just as the tracks made by Crooked Ear's paws were different from those made by the split hooves of a deer. By the time the teacher peered over his shoulder, sweat from the palms of his hands had dampened his slate. Master Evans unclipped a thick wad of felt from his belt and leaned over. Red Wolf flinched. Master Evans wiped the slate clean. Try again, he said. Red Wolf breathed a sigh of relief. In the way of the people, he who whistles had taught his son to observe, to watch and listen. Red Wolf was only five, but he could identify a bird from its song. He could recognize the thumping hind feet of an alarmed rabbit, the huffing of rutting elk, the bark of a vixen calling her mate, the caw of a raven when food was close. He could even gauge approaching weather by listening to the wind and feeling it on his skin. So in the confines of the school, where language gave him little information, he watched how hands moved and how facial expressions changed. He listened to tone of voice and inflection, unconsciously knowing that these things gave meaning to unfamiliar words. It didn't take Red Wolf long to realize that Master Evan's voice rose in pitch just before he expected an answer. In response to that higher pitch, some boys threw one arm into the air and spoke in the foreign language. The master smiled and stroked their hair and spoke words that sounded happy. Red Wolf didn't have any answers in the new language and decided that silence would be the best way to stay out of trouble. 
when the teacher spoke directly to him. Red Wolf looked at his desk and anxiously fingered the scratched surface, worrying at a splinter until it broke free from the gouged wood. The teacher's sudden grip on his arm surprised and hurt him. The boy jumped to his feet, words of the people flying from his mouth before he could capture them. Ouch, that hurts, let me go. The man wrestled him to the corner of the room and pushed him onto his knees facing the wall. Red Wolf stifled a yelp as the ruler slapped across his back. He heard Henry snickering. Red Wolf was grateful at least for one thing. He was facing the wall so no one could see him crying. But when tears escaped from his cheek and he daubed at them with his hand, Henry's snickers turned to full-blown laughter. Henry, stop laughing, Master Evans ordered. Red Wolf learned another phrase. He felt as though a long, long time passed. He looked up to see the round face of a ticking machine that hung on the wall. He had no knowledge that it marked the passage of time, but he watched the pointers move. The one that made the ticking noise advanced around the circle more quickly than the other. When both pointed straight up, the school bell clanged again, and the children got up from their seats. Stand up, George, Master Evans said. Red Wolf tried to stand and was aghast. His left leg was missing. He looked down, expecting it not to be there, but it was. But it wouldn't move, and it felt heavy, like a stone. He hopped on his right leg, dragging the useless leg behind him. It's gone numb from kneeling, Master Evans said, seeing the dismayed expression on Red Wolf's face. It will be fine soon, don't worry. The advice didn't help Red Wolf, since he didn't understand. But the circulation soon returned, bringing with it an unpleasant tingling. He hobbled after the others, along the corridor toward the refectory. Henry turned and waited for him to catch up. Red Wolf limped toward him, watching the expression on his face. By the time he was close enough to read malevolence in Henry's eyes, it was too late. Henry's fist sank into his gut, doubling him over and forcing him backwards with a grunt. He staggered and fell to the floor. Henry, Master Evans shouted, come with me to my office. Henry threw a disdainful glance at Red Wolf and then walked away with Master Evans. In the refectory, Turtle, the boy who had spoken to Red Wolf at breakfast, beckoned him with a subtle movement of his chin. After the encounter with Henry, Red Wolf wondered if he should ignore the gesture, but he read no malice or contradiction in Turtle's face, only open friendship. Turtle slid along the bench, enough for Red Wolf to squeeze in. The two boys didn't speak, but the closeness made Red Wolf melt inside. He almost cried. The midday meal was stew. It was not as good as his mother's. It didn't smell of taste, smoky, the way food should. But the chunks of potato and ragged cubes of fatty meat warmed his stomach. Apart from the slurping and scraping of spoons, there was silence. Red Wolf wiped his bowl clean with a hunk of bread, hoping there would be more, but there wasn't. He was pleased, at least, that his dish was so clean it didn't need washing. Nevertheless, he had to wait in line to go through the ritual. After dishwashing, Turtle pushed his chin toward the growing line of grade one children, and Red Wolf understood that he was to line up there. He flashed a smile of gratitude to Turtle, but the boy was already hurrying away. Red Wolf glanced around for Henry and was relieved when he realized that as yet anyway, the older boy was nowhere to be seen. Red Wolf followed the great ones to the back of the building where work clothes hung on numbered pegs. Like a swarm of bees swooping into flowers, the boys homed in on their own pegs. 
Red Wolf looked at the washed out numbers on his hand and tried to find a peg number that looked the same. Panic was rising in his throat by the time he spotted it. The same number was stitched across the back of the tan coverall that hung on the pen peg, as well as the chest pocket. So they know it's me from the front as well as the back, he thought. The boots that stood as a neat pair under the peg were numbered too. They had mud on the soles and were creased to the shape of another boy's foot. Red Wolf wondered if the boy who had worn them had gone home. He hoped so. He watched other children untie their school boots by pulling on the free end of a lace. He yanked at his own lace and was relieved when the bow unraveled. He plunged his feet into the work boots. They were much too big, but at least he could wiggle his toes. He tried to lace them, but the process for tying was so much more complicated than untying. A man was bearing down on him, a cane tapping the floor. Red Wolf froze like a frightened fawn, hoping the predator would pass him by. But the man stopped. Red Wolf crunched down, hands covering his head, waiting for the cane to strike. Watch, the man said, squatting and tying the lace slowly so that Red Wolf could see. Now you try. After two attempts, Red Wolf was wearing a pair of laced-up work boots. His feet slipped and slid inside them as he clomped after the other children through the back door of the school to the farm. The autumn sun shone from a clear blue sky, and the air was fresh and clean. But Red Wolf didn't notice. He was completely absorbed, watching the man's cane wrap the legs of boys who strayed marginally from the rigid procession. Red Wolf felt the twinge of anticipation that his legs would be the next to be wrapped. No one spoke except for the man. He barked incomprehensible orders, sending boys to different areas of the farm. Finally, Red Wolf alone remained. I'm the farm manager, the man said in English. They call me Mr. Boss. Here we teach you how to grow food so you won't go hungry again. Ironically, Red Wolf's stomach grumbled its half-empty complaint. The wandering lifestyle you all have, berry picking and hunting, it's not civilized. When the hunting is poor, especially in the winter, you go hungry. Or you might even starve. And here you'll learn how to grow crops and how to raise animals for food. He pointed to a red cow contained in a pen. The animal knelt and stretched her neck under the split rail fence, her nose pushing aside the purple asters until her long, purple, pink tongue could wrap around a clump of orchard grass. And she staggered to her feet with her prize. Red Wolf heard the grass fibers tear and watched the cow's jaws grind slowly back and forth. For a few seconds, he felt at peace. The strike to his leg was light. It barely hurt at all, but it surprised him enough to make him yelp. Pay attention when I speak, the man ordered, shaking his cane at the red wolf, and come with me. He guided red wolf to an area of weedy pasture. Here's the new worker, he said to a brown-skinned youth who was shouting commands at younger children. Looks like you need him. I want all of this dug up by the end of the week. Think you can do that? Yes, sir, Mr. Boss, said the youth, handing Red Wolf a shovel. I'll leave you in charge then, the man said as he walked away. Once the boss was out of earshot, the youth spoke, but in yet another language that Red Wolf did not understand. Red Wolf remained silent, and the youth tried again. Anishinaabe? Red Wolf nodded. The youth smiled and continued in a mix of English and signs that the child understood. Me no speak Anishinaabean. Me Mohawk. Me name Sparrowhawk. They call me Frank. Top boy Frank. He spread his arms to indicate all the boys working in the field. We many people, Cree, Anishinaabe, Huron, Métis, Mohawk. We speak many tongues. No understand each other. All must speak English. English, Red Wolf said, pronouncing the word perfectly. Top Boy Frank smiled. Good. 
He placed his foot on the top edge of his shovel blade and pushed down with his body weight. Dig, he said, like this. His shovel cut through the turf, and he deftly flipped it so the weeds and grass disappeared under the fresh brown earth. Red Wolf tried but lacked the strength and technique to cut through the thatch of vegetation. You'll soon get it, Top Boy Frank encouraged. Keep trying. Red Wolf tried and tried. It was hard work, and soon he flopped to the ground, exhausted. Get up, Frank urged, pulling him up with one hand. If Mr. Boss sees you idling, it'll be trouble. He pushed Red Wolf's shovel securely into the soil and propped the child against it. Lean on your shovel like this and look like you're working. In this position, Red Wolf watched a robin. The bird landed on the freshly turned soil and within a second of cocking its head sideways, pounced on the exposed tail of a worm. The robin planted its feet firmly and tugged with all its might. The worm stretched, becoming narrower and paler till it suddenly broke into two. The piece in the earth quickly wriggled back under the soil, but the piece in the robin's beak was promptly dispatched down the bird's gullet. The day before, when Red Wolf was still a child, he would have giggled, but today there was no laughter in him. On the neighboring farm, an old man walked behind a plow. The workhorse knew the routine and plodded faithfully along the edge of the furrow, throwing her weight into the collar. The farmer's arthritic hands gripped the plow handles to stop the share from bucking, it was hard work for a man his age, and when he finished, the field was finally able to take his eyes away from the soil. He shook his head and sighed. In the distance, small boys were plowing a field with shovels.